This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called. The Lord, our righteous Savior. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Man, you were just like the early service. You were chatting all the way up to the end of that song. I was standing over there getting worried that I would have to interrupt something really important going on. But uh, it's great to be here. I'm Pastor Brad. I spent Thanksgiving, as some of you may know, in the Seattle area with my kids. And I want you to, to know something, that um, when you go away and leave your kids behind, no matter how much you think they still need you, it's a wake-up call when you, when you show up you know, in, in, in their life and think that everything's going to be like all hugs and they're going to spend all their waking hours with you. Uh, it doesn't work that way. Although we had a great time with our, our youngest son and our um, older son who's at Seattle Pacific. When we uh, got on a plane, flew back here, and uh, landed at Anchorage Airport after they, you know, those of you who are pilots, it's no big deal, but, you know, they do the dips and dives to get you in the right spot. And I looked at my wife and I said, honey, we're home. And she goes, yes, we are. But we were not prepared for the cold. I mean, it was 40 degrees and raining. And here it's really cold. I, I, um, I, uh, I put on my Facebook this past week that one of the days, I don't know which day it was, the high temperature was 8 degrees here. And I got a whole bunch of my friends sending me text messages going, you know, I'm on a, sitting by the poolside in Southern California. It's about 75 right now. Just thought you want to know. So anyway, is that what happens when you move up here? All your friends from other places kind of mock you? It's crazy. Um, we are in a brand new sermon series called uh, The Ultimate Gift. The reason why I'm pausing is because we, uh, we've been around and around about what the title was going to be, and we've landed on this one. And um, this is a way for us to begin to think, to frame, to understand what this Christmas holiday season might be about, in addition to all the other things that we tend to make it about you know, in our culture. Um, before we begin, would you just join me quickly for a word of prayer that God might be most present in our, our experience uh, this morning. God, whatever distractions, whatever concerns, whatever issues that, that we brought with us into this place this morning, uh, we know that they won't necessarily go away, but we offer them to you uh, at this moment so that we can be available to hear, to see with new eyes um, the ultimate gift that, uh, that ought to mark the character of our celebration during this Christmas time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Have you ever uh, desired something so badly that you couldn't stop thinking about it? Maybe, maybe in your adolescence you desired uh, 
a girlfriend or a boyfriend and you couldn't stop thinking about them. Maybe you couldn't stop thinking about this certain favorite meal that you always make at a certain time of the year. The, the smells uh, that you smell maybe have triggered some thought, some memory, and you couldn't stop thinking about it until you, you went out and you found the food and you made that meal. Maybe you, you've woke up one morning recently with some tune in your head. Maybe it was, you know, a 1970s rock anthem or something. And you couldn't get that tune out of your head all day until you, until you put it on your, in your car, in your, in your stereo, your iPhone, your iPod or whatever, and you listen to it over and over and over again. And it reminded you of something, some time in your life, something that is meaningful uh, to you. You see, desires are funny that way, aren't they? They, they come and they go, uh, and there's really no rhyme nor reason to when they show up and when they leave. In fact, every time I walk into a Walmart down here in Eagle River, I have this uncanny and, and insatiable desire to eat pizza. It's really remarkable. And, and I, in fact, every time I go in there, I'm going, man, that smells really good. And I asked one of the clerks, one of the ladies working the cash register the other day, I said, so um, how do you work here all day with the smell of pizza wafting into to your nostrils? How do you do that? She goes, oh, for the first week, it drove me crazy right now. Uh, it makes me sick to my stomach. <laughs> Desires, they come, they go. Desires drive us, really, to finish a project that we've been kind of uh, working on for a long time. Sometimes our desires drive us to accomplish a task, to pursue a degree, an uh, an educational degree. Desires compel us maybe to take up a hobby, uh, to play an instrument, to read a book. But desire, in and of itself, is fleeting. It comes and then it's gone. It motivates us for a moment, and all that's left behind of our desire is Oftentimes, uh, an unfinished project or a half-eaten pie that, that reminds us of the desire that we once had. Can you relate to that? And you know, our culture of consumerism, and it would be, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this up at some point during the holiday, but our culture of consumerism understands this. They, it understands how strong our desires can be, and, and our culture is relentless in appealing to our desires in order that we will buy whatever it is that they're trying to sell us. Do you remember the pet rock? I mean, who needed that? But everybody and their brother and sister went out. I don't know when that was. Was that the 70s or 80s? Uh, Kids, ask your parents, maybe ask your grandparents about this. I I, I kid you not. Somebody went out and and found a bunch of rocks that were kind of round, put them in a little box, and... And, and printed on the outside, Pet Rock. And that was the raving gift of a Christmas holiday some 20 years ago. And, and then, do you remember a Tickle Me Elmo? You know, you, you tickle the, the doll, and it, and it laughed and it talked. And, and people would wait in line for hours, sometimes overnight, to get this item for some reason. You see, there always is going to be something. That, that, that our culture is going to tap into and, and suggest to us that we need to have this. Right? That's what desire looks like. And then there's yearning. 
yearning is, is like desire in that we often yearn for something until we satisfy that yearning. But yearning, unlike desire, isn't just about having your, your, your favorite bowl of Ben and Jerry's ice cream while you watch your favorite Christmas uh, video on TV. But yearning and desire are different in that yearning comes from a deeper place, a, a, more, a more substantial place. Uh, author Sumon Kidd describes yearning like this. She says, I didn't know then what I wanted, but the ache for it was palpable. I didn't know then what I wanted, but the ache for it was palpable. That's yearning. Yearning is the sense that our life isn't complete until we satisfy whatever that is. Yearning is a lack of contentment in, in, in the way things are while not really being sure how to make them different. An alcoholic yearns to lead a life of sobriety but doesn't know exactly how to get there or, or perhaps isn't willing to, to take the painful steps to get there. A single mom yearns for companionship to help her raise her children but realizes that there's not enough time in the day for her to give any time to dating, to, to meet Mr. Wright again. A factory worker yearns for a job that, that brings them meaning but doesn't have the resources or the ability to do much beyond what they currently do. The dictionary defines yearning like this. It says, an intense or overpowering longing, need, or craving. And, and our yearning for something that we cannot describe isn't just limited to our, to our basic human needs. We also yearn for sort of intangible things. We, we yearn for, for peace in a world where, where children don't have to grow up with the sound of gunfire and bombs exploding over their heads as they try to go to sleep at night. We yearn for that. We yearn for, for people, poor people, to have enough to eat. For those of us who've lived in Alaska longer than I have, perhaps you yearn for relief from the cold and the snow. Yearning is, is no stranger to the Bible either. In fact, from the very beginning, the people of God have yearned for, for many of the same things that you and I yearn for. They have yearned for peace and security and, and healthy families and opportunities to give back to their communities of faith. But beyond that, the people of, of, of the Old Testament often yearned for a time when there would be a kingdom that was based in equity and justice and peace rather than self-interest and greed and violence, because that's what they've gotten used to and were tired of. And not like our own time, this yearning was expressed by, by people from all walks of life in the Old Testament. They talked about it, the poets wrote poems about it, they sang songs about it, and the religious people dreamed about it. They dreamed about a king who would come as savior and not just another overlord that was going to put them in their place. This yearning, even though the people of God couldn't always describe exactly what it looked like. It was real. It was, it was tangible and it reflected the, 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 the hope that things wouldn't always be the way they are. 
And so here we find us ourselves in a series of sermons that we're calling The Ultimate Gift. And, and we're going to pick up the sense of this yearning from the text that was read for us a moment ago from Jeremiah. And what I want to do is I want to track how, how God answers our yearnings as we continue to move toward Christmas for the next three or four weeks. Perhaps you've never thought about this time before Christmas, this Advent time, as a time of yearning before. Maybe that's new to you. But I bet you you know it. I bet you you know it because I bet you some of you have, have gone through enough holidays in your life where you have kind of this ambi- ambiguous feeling about the holiday. You love it. You love all of the family traditions. You love the food. You even like giving and receiving gifts. But there's something that leaves, leaves you empty at the end of all this. Leaves you exhausted. Well, we're going to uh, try to spend some time thinking about this, this yearning that we all share and see where the scriptures might point us as the place where we can receive the satisfaction that we are seeking. The first scripture that was read for us a moment ago from the book of Jeremiah is one example of many, many examples in the Old Testament about yearning about exactly what we've been talking about here this morning. The prophet Jeremiah, who was sometimes referred to as the weeping prophet because he wept, he was so, so um, saddened by seeing the people of God in sort of their disobedience, um, um, unwilling to, to repent and return to God. And Jeremiah, in the text that we read for you a moment ago, said that the days are coming says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise that I have made to the people of Israel and Judah. The days are coming. See, along with a a host of others in the prophetic tradition in the Old Testament, Jeremiah is reassuring the people of God of this fundamental truth. God has not abandoned you. God has not left you alone to your own devices. God will fulfill His promise. You can count on it. That's what Jeremiah is is suggesting in this text. And the people of God, you know, they've lived in in this time of yearning for so long. They're saying, where? Jeremiah, where? Show us. How can we know that things will ever be different? What, what evidence can you show us that you have not left us to grope in the dark waiting for a Savior, for a leader, for this new generation that is upon us? And Jeremiah, in this passage, gives them evidence that they've asked for. He, he provides them with a, with a wisp of truth that points to a reality that is beyond their comprehension, but nevertheless is true. You see, God is, God is at work in the world. And whether we pay attention to it or not, whether we notice it or not, God is making a branch, Jeremiah says. And, and the people who are yearning for something, you may not be able to see it at first, you may not be able to describe it, but there is a branch, there is a sprout of a branch that will grow up from the family line of royalty, of David. And it won't be obvious at first, But when you see it, you will know that God is there. 
And just like every spring, there will be new growth that pushes through the melting snow. That's my hope. There will be new growth that reveals that God is, is present and active in the world. This branch is, is coming in the line of David. And out of that small sprout of a branch, there will be a leader who will lead with a hand and heart of God firmly upon them. Roxy and I uh, went to Africa about 10 years ago for the very first time where I accepted an invitation to teach at uh, Daystar University in Nairobi. And I was at their main campus, which was uh, 30 kilometers outside of Nairobi, and it abutted the Nairobi Game Park. And so we were really excited when we got there because we'd heard that in Africa there's all kinds of uh, wild and woolly animals, and we were looking forward to seeing some of those animals uh, in their natural habitat. In fact, instead of seeing them in a zoo or in kind of a constrained environment, we were looking forward to kind of walking out and just having, you know, sort of a Dr. Doolittle experience with animals all around us. And so the first night we got there, we were in our apartment that they provided for us, and, uh, and as we laid in bed, we could hear the jackals uh, laughing in the, in the night. And, it, and it's, it's a pretty scary thing if you've ever heard it. Um, they almost sound a little like humans in, in a certain sense. And we thought, those are animals. Those are the kinds of animals that, that we want to see. And then, of course, as we laid there under our mosquito netting, um, we heard the sound of the most devastating animal in all of Africa, which is a mosquito, trying to dive bomb us through our nets. And we didn't uh, get eaten that night. But um, the next day, we asked some of my students who are African, so where can we see some animals? Because we're in Africa, after all. We, we want to see animals. And I said, oh, you know, this, it's easy. You just take this trail here, and you, at that stump, you take a right, and then you go down a, a few meters, and you take a right, uh, a left at the, at the anthill, and you just walk out into the, into the savanna, and they'll, they'll be there. But you have to go at dusk because the animals are bedded down during the day. So we said, okay, we, we're going to go. So that night we went out looking with cameras in hand to see real live African animals. And we walked and we walked. And everywhere we walked, we saw prints. We saw tracks. But we didn't see a single animal. What, what Jeremiah is suggesting is that God is at work in the world and God's fingerprints, God's footprints are all over the place and all you have to do is look. All you have to do is pay attention. And from this, this eternal yearning that God has put into our hearts, there will be hope, Jeremiah says. There are footprints of God in the world that reveal that God is not far away. And you know what? That's what Advent is about. It's looking for the footprints of God. It's about watching and waiting and longing for evidence of a, of a Savior King who will rule with our best interest in mind. If you watch and wait, you will see God everywhere you look. 
you will see the evidence of a God who has not left you, who has not abandoned you, but who is active in the world bringing life from death, hope from despair. Jeremiah is saying, if you pay attention, you will discover the branch of God's rule has already broken through to satisfy your deepest yearnings. That's what Jeremiah is saying. Well, if we move from that text very quickly to 2 Corinthians, uh, to the passage that was read for us a moment ago, it's from this great yearning that is expressed in the book of Jeremiah that we move into this uh, epistle, this letter of Paul in 2 Corinthians. And, and I want you to hold on to the idea for just a moment, this, this idea of yearning, as we consider Paul's answer to the same question. Let's see what Paul uh, says about the nature of God's presence in the world, where, where sometimes it seems as if God is distant and in some cases even absent. Uh, so this is what Paul says. Uh, he says that the service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. And this is the passage that was read for us. Paul says, Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Now, you need to know that this this section of Scripture is on the tail end of a kind of an extended passage from uh, Paul where he's actually talking about generous living. He's talking about stewardship. And I find this fascinating that Paul links evidence of God's presence in the world to our acts of generosity. You see, the answer to our yearning for something we cannot describe, Paul says, is reflected in the very evidence of the lives that we lead. Where until now, there has been evidence of God's presence all around us, just like footprints on an African savanna. Now, now the evidence of God's presence in the world is seen in the lives of those whose hearts have been transformed by the living Christ and we have been given the strength to live in waiting by the Spirit of God who is at work in us. Evidence for that hope addresses our deepest yearnings and is seen in those who engage in self-giving acts of service. And those acts of service, no matter how small or how large, lead others to an overflowing of gratitude to God, Paul says. And we saw that just this past week. I don't know if you caught this on the news or in your, in your circle of... Uh, uh, surfing the, the net, as they say. But there was a guy, there was a police officer in New York City who was just doing his job, walking his beat. And he walked upon a homeless gentleman who didn't have any shoes. So he went into a shoe store and he bought him a pair of boots and some socks. And he went out and he helped put these socks and shoes on the feet of this homeless gentleman. And somebody who was visiting from some other place got a picture of him as he was doing this. And she posted it on the internet, on YouTube or something, and it went viral. 
the evidence of God's presence in the world is God's people engaging in acts of service with no strings attached. We, when we see others doing acts of service, we are compelled to give thanks to God, Paul says. And that's exactly what this police officer's act of generosity has done around the world. And if you ask me, and I have no idea, if you ask me, I bet, the, I bet this guy is a follower of Jesus. That's what Paul's talking about. And he continues, Paul, to add layer upon layer upon layer, because that's what Paul's good at, uh, to his argument about the source of our hope in the face of our, of our deepest yearnings. And as people receive our acts of service, he says, they will naturally pray a prayer of thanksgiving to God. Isn't that interesting? When we act and are generous in our lives, people give thanks to God for what they see. And this is what he says at verse 14. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. You see, once the answer to our yearnings was only a shadow of a, of a king in the line of David who would, who would come and rule in glory and grace, now our deepest heartfelt yearnings are satisfied by the generous presence of God as he is revealed by our acts of generosity and service in the world. Isn't that amazing? You see, Paul is Paul's a clever guy. He understands the challenges that we face as we yearn for something more than, than we currently have. Paul knows the disappointments of, of having our hopes dashed by, by misplaced expectations. He knows the regret that we have when we spend a lifetime pursuing remedies that don't work, but we keep on doing it anyway. For Paul, the clearest evidence of the presence of God as the answer to our deepest yearnings is the grace that is revealed in and through us as we navigate through life day by day with a heart of thankfulness and a spirit of of generosity. Folks, that's what this Christmas time is about. And Paul kind of winds this all up by saying, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. This indescribable gift for which Paul is giving thanks is the grace that is made evident in the lives of those who act out of faithful service, and as a result, those actions witness to the presence of God in the world. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift, Paul says. What do you think that family is going to do when they receive our goat that we just sent to them? Did you see Tristan after he got the gift today? And he was walking on cloud nine with his stuffed animal. That's what Paul's talking about. And the real source of God's presence in the world for which Paul is giving thanks is Jesus, of course. The indescribable gift that points to the reality that that we yearn for and to which we, we point every time we engage in acts of generous service is a Savior whose birth we are going to celebrate in a few weeks. 
So what are you yearning for this morning? I'm not talking about your desires. What are those profound yearnings that you have been holding in your heart and wondering if God would ever show up and do something about it? Do you yearn for a good night's sleep without worrying about your kids or or your bills or your future? That, That should pretty much cover most of us. Do you yearn for intimacy with God that always seems to evade you just when you think you've got this prayer thing figured down, just when you begin to have the pattern of, of Bible study, just when you begin this or that, all of a sudden it's gone. It slips through your fingers. What is the yearning of your heart today? Like the prophet Jeremiah and the Apostle Paul, I want you to hear me when I say to you that the only one who can satisfy our deepest yearnings is a God who Eugene Peterson says moved into the neighborhood in flesh and blood. The only one who's capable of dealing with the complexity and grief that has hit us like a wave this Christmas season is a God who created complexity and understands our grief. The only one who can bring life out of death is hope out of our our, our despair, satisfaction out of our yearning is Jesus. Will you say that with me? Jesus. The only one who can bring us the satisfaction that we need is Jesus. So what would you like to do this Christmas season? Will you continue to attempt to fill the void in your life with, with more gifts and more parties and all the trappings of the season? Or will you once and for all entrust your deepest unmet needs to the only one who is able to do something about it? As we embrace this holiday season, my hope and prayer is that we discover that there is no greater joy surrounding this season than when we understand that we have been given this indescribable gift.